Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. We all know that vitamins can help fill nutritional gaps in our diet, but a lot of us don't like to take vitamins because we don't like swallowing pills. How do you feel about that, Janet? There's some days that I look at my vitamins and go, yeah, I should take those. I'll do it later. But I'll tell you what's changed. I have gotten easy melt vitamins. I have the D3 and I have the B12s and a multivitamin and I just pop them in my mouth and they dissolve and I don't have to think about swallowing a vitamin. And you don't necessarily need water either to have on hand to get this big vitamin now. Yeah, no, and they taste good and they're sugar-free. They melt quickly. The reason they melt is because of plants not chemicals. Ah, plant-based nutrition. For a limited time only, you can receive a free, free three-month supply of Easy Melt Vitamin D3 with your first purchase. To claim your free D3, visit try.easymelts.com slash onboys. That's try, T-R-Y dot Easy Melts. E-Z-M-E-L-T-S dot com forward slash on voice. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If boys are struggling, they are often struggling in silence. Join us to hear from Jonathan Reed, who is talking directly with boys, and he'll share with us what he is hearing. 
This is the On Voice Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net, and I'm Janet Allison of boysalive.com. As always, oh, we so appreciate you, our listeners, and thanks, too, for supporting our sponsors. On this podcast, we talk often with the experts, those doing research, writing the books. Today's guest, though, is part of Next Gen Men, creating communities with boys. That means boys have a safe space to share their thoughts, feelings, and perspectives on things like consent and what it's really like to be growing up in these times, perspectives that we, the adults, may be missing. Jonathan Reed was a guest on our podcast way back in 2019 and once more since then. So it's great to have you back for the third time, Jonathan. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. So good to have you chiming in from Canada. We love that. (laughs) Growing up, you were told that the way you're being a boy is not okay. That was many, many years ago, some Mm -hmm. years ago. Do you think that boys are getting a different message now? Oh, wow. That's a really interesting question to start with. So my experience with, with growing up, I guess, was I was really small for my age. I had long blonde hair. You know, when I started high school, I weighed 84 pounds. I was, um, you know, I didn't fit. I just inherently didn't fit into that system. That's that sort of stereotypical narrative of, you know, being tough, being strong and that kind of thing. And so I faced a lot of homophobic, um, and gender-based violence for that. And, yeah, I mean, I was talking with boys last week. Um, this great grade six to grade eight boys, and we were brainstorming that again. That's this like sort of stereotypical narrative, and they were like, "It's not about pink and blue, you know. We can wear pink if we want to." And in fact, actually, that day was Pink Shirt Day, which is the holiday in Canada about anti-bullying, and a number okay. of them were wearing pink. Um, so I, I think what comes to mind for me is that it's it's kind of gone under the radar. Like it's not mm. as. Uh, upfront as like, oh, you have to have short hair or you can't wear pink, um, which is sometimes what we first think of when we think of gender stereotypes. And it's become a bit more subtle and a bit more about for sure, like the boys don't cry narrative is still super present and the the pressure to get girls or the pressure to be dating and in relationships, those things are still super present. And they're a little bit harder to put your finger on than just, you know, that color of clothing is not okay. It's almost more confusing um, for boys and for the parents and teachers trying to help them navigate it. You know, when it's out there in your face, you know, this is what you're dealing with when it's a little more subtle. It's, do you think this plays into some of the, um, increased anxiety that kids are experiencing? And the reason why I'm asking that is, you know, when you are not sure what to expect, or is this a safe place for me? you're kind of constantly on guard and watching because mm-hmm. if you miss something, that could be it. You know, that could be the, mm-hmm. I have just socially outcast myself is what you think as a kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, it goes without saying that like the, the pressures and expectations that we face have an impact on our mental well-being, and especially the, the trust and the closeness that we have with our peers is like a huge factor in that. So, yeah, I think that's kind of, yeah, that's got to be present in how kids are experiencing 
things like anxiety. Another example that I that I kind of think of sometimes when I think about how the gender narrative has has shifted is Iron Man, because well, so Iron Man's a superhero. And the like traditional narrative of superhero is like protector, invulnerable, you know, super strong. Um, and kind of it like plays in like the stereotype, like it plays into that stereotype of being a man. And mm-hmm. Iron Man at some point in the first sort of wave of the Avengers franchise was sort of di- displayed struggling with post-traumatic stress symptoms. Like he was having flashbacks and he was having a really hard time sort of coping with the amount of a little bit of the amount of pressure, but also just like the scary stuff that he had experienced while defending New York city. And so to me, it's, it, then it'd be like we said, it becomes that much harder to put your finger on exactly what message is this sending because it overlaps with that invulnerability, but it also overlaps with like self-sacrifice It overlaps with like mental struggle. Who does he tell? How does he tell them? And it just becomes, it's like more complicated than just, the superhero narrative needs to change. It's changing, but is it changing in all the ways that we need it to? Sure, because now we're acknowledging, okay, yeah, you know what? If you are saving New York City, you're seeing some shit and that's good. You're, <laughs> you're going to have some scenes in your head replaying. Okay, so we'll acknowledge that, but you still need to save everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's complex. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, and where's the safety net for you? You know, right. where's the safety net for Iron Man? What does he do? You know, it's not like he's, I mean, do they show him meditating and doing yoga? Maybe not. So it's like, here's the, here's the complexity. Where do you go with it? Right. No easy answers here at all. I have felt as a parent that watching my kids, you know, navigate school and puberty, we are in this time of transition. You know, you're alluding to that, Jonathan, our our understanding of masculinity, frankly, our understanding of so many things within culture, it's shifting and there's, there's progress and there's uh pushback and we're in this time of transition and we haven't figured out where we're landing yet. And I think it's difficult for all of us trying to live in that transitory time because the mm-hmm. old rules don't entirely apply and we haven't figured out what the new ones are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And to me, that's, that's something that's really valuable about working with and really listening to the voices of young people, because as adults, we're kind of inherently using really outdated tools. So we might talk about consent later in this conversation, but like, Mm -hmm. for example, I didn't really get any consent education growing up really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that like the idea that I might be, you know, an expert that is like teaching young people on things like consent or things, positive masculinity, or like a redefinition or an expansion of the stereotype. When I never saw that firsthand, they are. And so they're, yeah, I think they're, they've kind of be, we've got to look towards them as the leaders in this conversation. Absolutely. I mean, add, you know, I don't know, 40 more years to your age, Jonathan, or maybe 30, (laughs) like consent wasn't even a word that was used when I was growing up. So there is that place where we can stand here as the uh, quote unquote experts on all things masculinity and boys. Jen and I are women. You know, we can Mm -hmm. we can have the conversations and read the books and think about the things, but it really is. And that's why I love talking to you, because you are working with the boys. When you go into these groups, if you were to just maybe sit and listen 
what would they be talking about? Yeah, there's a good chance they're, they're going to be talking about TikTok. <laughs> uh-huh. um, I and I mean I I I would say like school stress and school pressure is still like super super present in young mm-hmm. people's lives, and it kind of bums me out that that's the case, given what we've gone through in the pandemic. That mm-hmm. we didn't effectively take stock of like where are we going with this set of expectations and school performance and I think there's there's some educators doing that there's some schools doing that but by and large like the stress related to to academics just looms still looms really large in in the lives of young people I had a 15 year old text me last night saying I failed a math test and uh you know and I I I'm kind of digressing here, but I read some quote that was like, like, you know, your marks, like, I can't remember what the quote was, but basically it was something about like, the mark is not a reflection of your worth. It's a reflection of where you're at and where you can grow. And I was like, every, every student, every teacher really needs to absorb that lesson. Um, So yeah, this guy is just like, I, I failed. And I said, what subject was it? Or like what type of math? And he said, radicals. I'm not even sure what radicals what are in mathematics. Like, I don't know what that is. So I texted him back, you're radical. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want to I comment here for a minute because we hear, you hear this all the time in your coaching, Janet, and I hear it from other parents. Parents think boys don't care about school. You are telling us boys are affected deeply mm. by school pressure. So there's a disconnect there between what a lot of parents think and boys experience. And uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. My first thought is that, you know, it's a, we humans tend to put up these, well, I don't care. Mm -hmm. It's easier than saying I'm hurt or it's easier than saying I'm struggling. Um, What's your take on that? Yeah. um, I think it's partly the, like some of the young people that I, that I work with tend to be like a little sort of non-stereotypical just and that's how they came to be connected with next gen men so that's probably part of it um and the expectation that boys are checked out or boys are the class clown or you know boys need medication if they're going to get anything done um or and so on like that that goes back decades and I, I would, I guess I would say I would avoid generalizing all boys. Like there's boys that, that are really disinterested in school and there are boys that are, you know, focused heavily on school. And then there's boys that kind of hide the level to which they're impacted by how the teacher views them and um, perceives their work and their, 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 their worth. Um, and I was going to say what came to mind for me, cause I, I don't know, I never try to like come up with like a, Oh, this is the, you know, the official answer. So what actually just came into my mind when you shared that Jen is maybe there's some boys that they don't do well in school, but they are super athletic and they get mm-hmm. that opportunity to be validated, whether it's that by their way. peers, by coaches or by their, probably by their school community overall, mm-hmm. um, because of their performance elsewhere. And it actually kind of just made me think of boys who, you know, they're, they're like middle of the packs, like with academics, like they're not super inclined for athletics. And it just sort of made me think of if they're not fitting into <laughs> some level of stereotypical expectations, wherever it might be, how do they get affirmation that they are good enough for who they are? So that's yeah. what came to mind. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that answers the question, but that's what came to mind for me. Yeah. That's, I mean, it opens up that line of thought as you're talking. I, I wonder what you would say to parents about how can we alleviate some of this school stress? If this is topmost 
in the minds of boys, some boys, many boys, what can parents and other adults do Uh to help alleviate that? And I think part of it is, you know, we, we tend to telescope like, oh, he's in ninth grade. This is what I hear from parents. He's in ninth grade and he's failing that math test and he's in advanced placement and we're, we're already projecting into his adult life. He's Uh going to be a failure, Uh but, but we know from this perspective, like, do you remember failing a math test in high school? Maybe you never did, but you know, do we remember that? Is that as important now in our adult lives as it is looming for our kids? Uh, yeah. I mean, as parents, we, uh, can totally project our, our, our own anxieties and, and then try to like manifest that into high expectations. And we end up mm-hmm. with young people who feel, you know, judged or like they've let us down, mm-hmm. um, when things go wrong. And, uh, a couple of things come to mind for me. One is letting go of expectations are really great. Again, I I'm always quoting quotes that I can't remember exactly how it went or who it came from, <laughs> but a really, another quote that was really impactful for me was someone pointed out, you know, if you never really get the handle on spelling, or if you never really like land that, like that math concept, you're going to still be okay. You will find a place in your life where that, that like, you know, that uh, like autocorrect will do it for you, or you'll find some place where mathematics aren't the center of what you need to be able to do to perform and you'll be okay. We just admitted that we are three adults who are all adulting, <laughs> living our lives in professional. We manage our personal lives and none of us know what a radical is. Right. Huh. Yeah. So we should, first of all, we should just tell that 15 year old, it's going to be okay. Um, And what the quote pointed out was, um, so if you, yeah, if you don't learn that level, that specific topic in mathematics, that's going to be fine. But what if, if what you do learn in school is that you aren't good enough, you know, or that you um, are going to be judged if you um, fall short of someone's expectations um, or that you can't take risks, like all those kinds of lessons, they will impact you and where you end up in the relationships in the workplace, wherever it might be. So mm-hmm. I think that's about just sort of rethinking what exactly are we teaching young people in school? Like, what are they taking away from their experiences? Because it's a lot more than some specific bit of literacy or mathematics. Mm-hmm. The other thing that came to mind is just a recognition that if boys are struggling, often they're struggling in silence. Um, there's still a, a, like a stigma uh, against asking for help, particularly when it also means admitting a weakness or a vulnerability uh, because of that expectation that to be a man, you've got to be able to do it on your own and you've got to be strong and figure mm-hmm. it out. And so, yeah, like there's a kid I know who, long story short, just relocated to be with family in Mexico. And all of a sudden he's expected to do everything in school in Spanish. And he knows a bit of Spanish, but not that much. He's always been top of the class back here in Ontario. And so it's been really jarring for him to move to that different culture and and then start really failing in school. And so he's 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 kind of been like head down, losing sleep, like yeah. falling behind. And we had a conversation where we were talking about, okay, what's hard. And, you know, this is what I've observed about, you know, how, you know, you've been talking lately and he kind of benefited from just a conversation that was like, yeah, asking for help is an option. 
because he had mm-hmm. never done it before. He'd never done it before because he's really gifted. He's a really, he didn't really, have to before. Exactly. But some people have never done it before because they didn't feel safe enough to, or they didn't, you know, they didn't have any stakes that they needed to. Um, so there's lots of different reasons boys wouldn't have asked for help before. And so it was a conversation about, okay, what would it actually look like to say to your teacher? I, I kind of need a hand here. Mm-hmm. And, and then he got a bit of help, but it wasn't exactly the help that he needed. So that was all really new terrain for him. And so, yeah. So what came to mind for me is like a boy, like I'm thinking about that kid who was struggling with radicals. Like there's a good chance he was up in his room the nights before that test, trying to figure it out, wrapping mm-hmm. his mind and just really struggling and banging his head against the desk. And I have no clue. His parents are really great parents. So maybe there's nothing else to it, but, but maybe they were just thinking he's fine, you know, and that's normal, yeah. but maybe they could have gone and checked on him and said, well, wow, you've had, you've had that one page in front of you for a long time. Do you want to talk mm-hmm. about it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, starting at a young age with our kids of it's okay to ask for help. And I think helping them verbalize that, like you did, like you did, Jonathan, of mm-hmm. what would you say to the teacher? I think our boys need that support to get specific. Otherwise they're going to just Oh, I can do it myself. So we had a conversation (laughs) with Brendan, who also lives in Canada and his research around youth. And the top thing that he discovered in his research was that boys do not share because they do not want to be a burden to Mm. their parents, to their whoever, to their community. Mm. And so, you know, recognizing that and opening the door for them to be able to come to you and say, I need help. Find out what the NBA finals have to do with boys asking for help after these brief messages from our sponsors. As Mother's Day is coming around, I find I'm missing my mom more and more. And there's always questions and stories I wish I had asked her when she was still here. I do remember that I gave her a book once upon a time with questions for her to write the answers to, and bless her heart, she didn't answer very many, so that was really a disappointment. But fast forward to now, and technology, and now we have mylifeinabook.com. It takes all those questions and stories, and it puts it in a format that is sent to your person, whoever you designate, on a regular basis so that the prompts come, they're easily answered either written or voice to text, and they're captured by mylifeinabook.com. These family stories, this legacy that you want to leave for your children and your grandchildren. Mylifeinabook.com, create an unforgettable gift for your mom, your dad, your children, this Mother's Day. Use our coupon code ONBOYS for 10% off. Go to mylifeinabook.com and use ONBOYS for 10% off. Create that legacy. Carry on those stories. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me. So I'm 51. She's 41. And she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? 
and she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. It's telehealth. You can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time, your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash ONBOYS. Winona, menopause care made easy. Yeah, yeah, one of the ways we used to talk about that in Next Gen Men's programming was in the the years following the 2018 NBA Finals. So to jog your memory, really, oh, please do. <laughs> yeah, really, uh, really simply, it was against the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Golden State Warriors. LeBron James and J.R. Smith were on the Cavaliers, and J.R. Smith messed up a play and cost them the game. And LeBron James was so upset he punched a blackboard. And then played the next three games with a really serious hand injury, and they lost the entire finals. So us, us, we are probably like, oh, vaguely remember that, or you know, hadn't heard about that. But every single adolescent boy in the greater Toronto area was super familiar with exactly what had happened and why. And so the question that we would ask boys, which was this really familiar terrain of, of talking about elite athletes, was if you're LeBron James. Why don't you like? Why don't you tell anybody? Why don't you ask for help? And the one of the answers in terms of that being a burden was, I don't want to let my teammates down, or yeah. I don't let my my fans down, or, or anything like that. And there were lots of other reasons, like not wanting to be targeted, or not wanting you know to be judged and things like that. But that that idea of not wanting to let the people around me down. Um, or be a burden on them was like super present. And then we would transition from talking about sports to talking about mental health, um, which then is sort of how you go from where boys are, which is a comfortable conversation into that more, you know, vulnerable landscape. I'm really curious about those conversations. I'm not a huge sports fan. I know Janet is even less than I am. So I'm not (laughs) super familiar with that. But just based on your description, I mean, it sounds like there's all kinds of uh, juicy conversations you could have with boys around that. Because, I mean, there's also somebody was feeling strong emotions 
mm-hmm. and released them physically in a way that caused harm that then caused harm on a wider scale. Like were those conversations that you had as well? Yeah, totally. It's always a bit of a gift when there's something resonant in their lives that can yeah. be unpacked deeply. So like another example would be Dwayne the Rock Johnson, which like again, every young teenage boy is pretty familiar with. Mm-hmm. Talked pretty openly about struggling with depression. And similarly, there's been other, you know, basketball players who've done similar things. And so it, it is valuable to look for to be aware of those things, to look for them and and unpack them when they come up, whether it's the NBA or like Andrew Tate would be another example. I'd say another really thing that is like that. I mean, so my background is like experiential education, outdoor education. And so like, I think even more so than talking about like famous people that they're aware of is having like some sort of experiential activity mm-hmm. of um, do like doing, doing some sort of activity and then, and then debriefing. And that's always yeah. a really powerful yeah. way to get those topics opened up. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned Andrew Tate. Let's talk about Andrew Tate. I want to come at this for a minute from the parent perspective. And, and Jonathan, I know that that's not your perspective, but here's what, I, what I'm saying. Some parents are aware enough that they've heard the name Andrew Tate and they've heard and seen misogynist. He says terrible things. Teen boys love him. So there are some parents and educators who just want to like go in on that. Oh my God, Andrew Tate, you can't blah, blah, blah. Partly because we parents, adults, especially adult women, like, I don't want to sit through a bunch of Andrew Tate videos and have to listen to his stuff. And yet I feel like talking to somebody about something without really knowing what it is has the potential of uh, creating some disconnect and, and misunderstanding. Yeah, totally. I was just I was just with a dad and his 14-year-old and his 14-year-old made a comment about the Matrix uh, which for those of you who don't know, uh, is part of the iconography of Andrew Tate. He's like leveraging that, that metaphor. And I think the 14 year old said something about the matrix and it's something about top G. And then we are all pretty familiar with what he was talking about. And kind of like you just described, dad kind of went on the offensive and was like, you shouldn't like, you know, you shouldn't say it like, you know, Andrew Tate is like a terrible person and went on and on. Uh, the 14 year old pushed back and was like, dad, that's not what it's about. Like he's, like he's he's like teaching the young generation to like rethink everything and he's getting and it's like and people are in the Romanian government's making up lies to like silence him and there was this sort of pushback on first of all parent you don't understand and second of all you know there's two sides to the story there's complexity and I don't want to be painted with your broad brush of uh of sexism mm-hmm. and uh yeah. And then I like chimed in and because I was like, I wanted to support the dad a little bit. And uh, <laughs> but I also didn't want to shut down his son. And I said something like, yeah, I mean, you can rethink the economy without being misogynistic and violent towards women. <laughs> Just putting that out there as a possibility. And right. the kid was like, yeah, yeah. He's like, And then he was like, yeah. And Andrew Tate is really really awful towards women and it was interesting to me i hadn't really thought about it too much but when i think back on that his admission came in response to my own you know he was willing to say andrew tate's not perfect when i was willing to say i'm not shutting you down and if that makes sense so that that kind of yeah that's what i don't know that just sort of came to me as i retold that story 
it's a complex situation. And I don't mean complex, like, you know, violence towards women is it, that's not complex. That's just wrong period. Mm-hmm. But Andrew Tate does say other things. And so when you try and, and paint everything black and white or only focus on one part, you, you do kind of give kids the space to go, well, you just don't understand me. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're willing to listen and engage in the conversation, you can begin to acknowledge complexity and, and maybe discuss it, which, you know, you took an avenue and said, you know, there are other ways to rethink the economy. Yeah, something I'm working on, it, which comes from my own therapist, is approaching conversations with curiosity, mm-hmm. like not approaching with your mind made up. Or feeling like, you know, I have this lesson or this knowledge that needs to be imparted on this young person, but just to be open with curiosity. If it was easy to do, I wouldn't have had to talk about it with a therapist. So <laughs> right. um, it's one of those things that's like, oh yeah, duh. But then when you're yeah. in the moment, you're like, no, no, no. Like you, you know, 14 year old, you need to hear what I have to say about mm-hmm. Andrew Tate. It's like, I understand that feeling of wanting to teach and wanting to explain. Um, but I, yeah, I think the curiosity is, is going to lay the foundation for that possibility for an impactful conversation. Let's Mm -hmm. take that and move into discussions of talking and teaching about consent with Mm -hmm. young boys. You alluded to this before, right? On the one hand, you have us adults who we never learned this. Many of us made and experienced mistakes on this front. Mm -hmm. Now we are supposed to, air quote, teach the boys. And I think a lot of times adults go into this conversation from a top-down, we're going to tell you what to do approach versus leading with curiosity. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that some of what you see? Like, tell us what you think some of the issues are in terms of the conversations that we're having, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong, and what we are just way off base on. Yeah. So I've been, I've been in various ways teaching about consent um, for a, a few years now, and I've definitely been really deeply thinking about it over the last year. And so I do have definitely thoughts and definitely some of those thoughts are super motivated by curiosity. I, as a facilitator of a, let's say a workshop of, of grade seven and grade eight boys, I obviously have more experience. I have more research and I have some things that they need to understand that I'm going to teach them. And, um, and that's some, that's part of how I operated and obviously continue to operate sometimes. Um, and I had an experience with it with an eighth grader. We had gone through the, like the definition of consent and maybe some scenarios and an acronym and that kind of thing, just focusing on the, the do's and don'ts of, of consent. And this eighth grader said to me, Jonathan, I get it. Like, I understand what it is and I understand that it matters, but I'm going to be honest with you. That's not happening. There's no way I actually say that kind of thing when I'm in a situation like that. And so the first possible response is like, like huge red flag, you know, don't like do this, don't do that. Like you're like to shut that down, you know, because while it's valuable that he was being honest with me, like what he was sharing didn't totally resonate with where I was hoping that these young adolescent boys would go. But instead of just, you know, shooting back, I embraced curiosity and said, okay, tell me more. And that's where we came down to, and this is something I've heard again and again, which is the main reason boys can't figure out exactly how to fit with that piece of consent. Um, Do you have a prediction? If that kid and that kid told me it's too blank, do you have a prediction of what he was probably going to say? 
or cringe popped into my head mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or scripted it's too scripted we're yeah, telling yeah. you know say that say exactly this well it doesn't fit the situation yeah both of those so the 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 two scripted is like super present and that's a simple one it's just sort of an acknowledgement that yeah i as an adult have a different vocabulary <laughs> i as an educator you know i'm using a seventh grade boy yeah. exactly yeah um so that one totally is present and it's a little bit easy to just be like yeah you got to practice that's why you have to practice right and figure mm -hmm. out what what does it sound like coming from you the cringe one is the one that i want to talk about now because that i have heard over and over again boys just being like it's too awkward it's so embarrassing it's going to kill the vibe again like if we're not being curious like the easy response is get over it it matters. But if we really dwell on that awkwardness, and this is something I've kind of been doing and unpacking over the last year is, okay, what does that awkwardness mean? What does that teach us or tell us about how to do consent education more effectively with, with yeah. boys? There's sort of, I came up with sort of two pieces to it. And the first one is if either one of you was sort of catching up with your friends, you know, like Friday evening dinner party, and you were trying to tell a story and you got sort of jumbled around with your words and the story kind of fell flat and didn't make a lot of sense. How big of a deal would that be for you? Would that be like really significant or like, eh, it happens? I would say, oh, that happens. I'm also not in seventh grade anymore. So I think uh -huh. seventh grade me would have thought it was a bigger deal. Right. I would, yeah. It's the, it, the context that you're in, the people that you're with, the situation. Yeah. So the comparison that I sometimes make is, okay, if you're talking with your friends, eh, it happens. If you're talking in front of like 300 people, then all of a sudden, yeah, that awkwardness is really, really significant. And that's because of stakes. Because ah. when you are in an environment where the stakes are really high, awkwardness is, um, is kind of like avoid at all costs, right? Yes. As soon as you say it, you're like, well, yeah, of course there's stakes for boys in relationships because they're immersed in a culture that tells them to be a man, you've got to be able to get girls. You have to be dominant and aggressive and not take no for an answer. Or you have to be hypersexual and performing beyond your peers. That comes again and again as they grow into adolescence. And so And there's the simple there's the simple human stakes too of like this is the person that I am most attracted to right mm -hmm. now that I really like this person. I so want this person to want me because in that moment, that person's perception of me matters more than your perception of me, Janet, or yours, Jonathan, or anybody else's. So the right. stakes are kind of automatically high in a lot of these situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like a double, it's almost a triple whammy because you yeah. have the expectations from our culture on what it means to be a man you have yep. a really deep desire for the validation of that person that you're with and then sometimes as a as an adolescent boy you might even also have the expectations of your peers and because you've mm -hmm. maybe been talking about hooking up or you've been talking about yeah. whatever it might have been um like in the locker room or at the party or whatever it might be so it's like this triple like yeah one two Oof. three of and then all of a sudden the stakes are through the roof and so yeah. it's not that surprising to be like am I going to say something I'm not totally comfortable with and I'm not totally sure how to say, and it might ruin the vibe and things could totally fall apart. Or am I just going to kind of cross my fingers and hope this lands, you know? And you know, when you mentioned the vibe, the other thing that occurred to me was they're not wrong in that up until this point in their life, nearly everything they've seen that has portrayed 
romantic love or a sexual relationship does not include these conversations, mm-hmm. right? This is not how our movies go. This is not how our songs go. So it does seem really out of place. It seems like that's not part of the vibe. Yeah, totally. In movies, they go from like zero to 100 so fast. <laughs> and I think that'll continue to change. Like there's examples of recent movies where there's a little bit mm-hmm. more. It's something that'll change. But yeah, the dominant like narratives and representations, it's just completely absent. I was talking with a 12-year-old about going on a date and he was like, you know, you've got to kiss her first. And like, he had all these sort of expectations, this is what you've got to do. And I was like, what? first of all, you're 12. Like, you've never been on a date. Where are you getting? Because he was <laughs> he was so knowledgeable. He was like, this is absolutely the way it is. And he was like, movies, dude. And I was like, okay. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So given this, then how do we continue those conversations um, with our boys in a way that respects, you know, their perception, these high stakes? Quick pause here for a message from our sponsors, and then Jonathan's going to be sharing with us what we say next. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits, and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me. So I'm 51. She's 41. And she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, Increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. 
And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. It's telehealth. You can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash onboys. Winona, menopause care made easy. Now what? Yeah. Right now, my best answer to that is watching for opportunities to build up his own sense of confidence in himself as a man so that he's not dependent on the validation of his peers Mm -hmm. and he can handle learning, you know, this person doesn't feel the same way about me as I do um, about them. Yeah. Just finding ways for them to feel like they are worthy. They are, um, you know, I don't know how you you teach this as a parent, but they're attractive, you know, they're, and they're smart and they're funny. And, and I think just sort of approaching consent conversations, less about rejection, like it's, you know, you'll either get it or you won't. And more just about information, you'll understand where they're at. And that's not really about you. It's about them. Ah. And that kind of, that takes the stakes off a little bit down as well. I like that framing, right? It's information that helps you understand where that other person is at. It it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with you as -hmm. a person, not your physical attractiveness, not your sense of humor, just where they're at right now in this moment. So that's from a book called Creating Consent Culture by Erica Scott Scott and Marsha Bashinsky. I'm not sure how to say her last name, but a really great book. And they kind of say it makes it less of a referendum on who you are as a person and more just information about what's going on between you. And the thing that just occurred to me is another thing parents could do is brainstorm. You know, if a kid experiences rejection, which all kids do at some point or another, brainstorm what are all the different possibilities. So for example, I just got rejected by a girl that I'm really interested in and it was hard. You know, I had to, I had to, and like, I had to navigate the feeling of, okay, I'm not wanted in the way that I wish I was. And if I haven't talked about this yet with anybody, but if a parent, you know, maybe not my parent at this stage in my life, but yeah, maybe a parent or a friend that was maybe like, maybe just brainstorm. two random people on a podcast, you know, for <laughs> yeah, right. To brainstorm, <laughs> what are all the possible reasons? Maybe she's moving. Maybe she's busy with work. Maybe she's like just getting out of a relationship. Maybe she's met somebody recently that she, like, there's so many other reasons that, that that's where we're at, that right. um, it's helpful to have to brainstorm. Yeah. So that's yeah. another idea. Yeah, it <laughs> is. And I think in having those conversations too, we also are conveying to our boys that from the flip side, it's okay for them to say no Uh or to to not do certain things for those reasons. Like I may not want to, uh, I know that you're a beautiful girl and all the culture says I'm supposed to want to like go out on a date with you, but 
I was really looking forward to dirt biking on Saturday, uh-huh. you know, like it doesn't mean I don't want you, but I can prioritize myself and my needs uh-huh. also. Uh-huh. I still remember being in grade eight and bicycling with my friend who we had been at a dance. Like I can't remember it was the night before or a few nights before. And basically the prettiest girl in school had asked him to dance and he'd said no. And I remember asking him, why did you say no? And he didn't have much of an answer. He was basically just like, I didn't want to. And, you know, you forget a lot of things as you grow older. And so it stands out to me that I still remember that conversation and how confused I felt that it just did not make sense that if the prettiest girl asks you, the answer should be yes. And yeah, that conversation just popped into my mind. Mm -hmm. But that brings me to the second piece of awkwardness. Okay. Which is if we go back to the scenario of you're at a dinner party, um, let's say someone brings a contribution. It's like a potluck, you know, or whatever. They maybe bring a drink or whatever it might be, and it's like not your favorite. Would would your like sense of awkwardness or let's just say etiquette prevent you from saying something? Oh, I've been in this situation because I tend to be a picky eater. Um. So I, oh gosh, I'm, you know, I'm 50 years old and I feel uncomfortable talking about this, especially if if you are hosting the party, you don't say anything when you sort of feel obligated. Like I have to eat at least a little bit of it because I want to be polite. So then what about if you're at a dinner party and you know, someone's anaphylactic to peanuts and someone brings like a peanut butter pie, is your awkwardness still going to keep you silent? No, then I will speak up. Right. And so the difference there to me is about the possibility of harm because there's a real significant possibility that someone could get hurt. All of a sudden the awkwardness doesn't matter that much. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to say something because it could really impact someone's life if I don't. And so to go back to that idea of, okay, boys need to know their boundaries matter. There's a really great quote from Peggy Orenstein who wrote the book boys and sex where she says, um, Something like if a guy, like if a guy is supposed to deny his own violation as he grows up, how is he supposed to feel empathy for someone else's? Like if a guy yeah. isn't able to say no, how can he hear somebody else saying no? Mm. And yeah, like if we think back on boys' experiences of getting told to walk it off when they scrape their knee or getting told, you know, boys don't cry when they're struggling with a, you know, a relational breakdown. Or like, I don't know if you, your, your sons ever did this, but like the, like the, like getting slapped in, in like the private parts, just by their friends joking around like that same friend actually, who told me, yeah, I didn't feel like dancing with that girl. Another thing that he would do sometimes, this is again, middle school, would just punch me out of nowhere. And I'd be like, (laughs) what the hell? And he would be like, it was a reflex. And we both knew it wasn't a reflex, but it was just messing around as guys. And at Mm -hmm. some point I really did not want to be punched. But, but you sort of learn the cultural message is t- take it because this yeah. is what guys do. And if I don't, then I'm not. Yeah, that's messed up. Mm-hmm. But this is the world that, that that we're living in. Yeah. So there's this. So there's again, I'm always quoting people. I really <laughs> another guy who wrote like, no wonder men have failed to see grabby men as a problem for women, because that's how they grow up. Not necessarily yeah. from men, but from their peers to constantly invading their personal space. And, and also as they grow up into teenagehood, it becomes like increasingly often sexualized violence that they experience in the locker room. Like I had a, I had a guy when I was in grade nine in the locker room, kind of 
jokingly, but also relatively violently tell me to suck his dick. And that was just part, like, I didn't tell anybody about that. I didn't even feel particularly heartbroken about that. I was angry, you know, that he had, mm-hmm. he had kind of made me look that way um, and feel that way, but I didn't tell anybody about it because it was just normal. That's what it's like to be in high school, in gym class, people are going to mess around. And so, yeah, if that's, if that's the, the world that boys live within, we as parents need to think about how do we validate their boundaries? How do we affirm that their feelings matter in order for them to be able to recognize the boundaries and the feelings of others? That is such an important point that I feel like it's overlooked all the time. I am 100% for respecting the boundaries of women and girls. Staunch supporter of that. But if you start, as so many people do, from the perspective of boys and men, here are things that you must do to keep girls and women safe. Mm, right. Rather from just the validating of human boundaries, we all have them. If we validate human boundaries, then we learn to respect ourselves and respect others. And I think that is such a healthier and more effective approach. Yeah, when I was in grade nine, I also started dating a a girl. I liked her. I thought she was cool. I thought she was pretty. But one of the biggest motivations for me was I was sick of getting called gay. Because yeah. I heard that every day. And so at some point, it was helpful for me to be able to say to that guy in the locker room, I'm not gay, I have a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And something that I've kind of unpacked as I've grown older, when I look back on that was my choices with her were because they were motivated by others, by how I was being treated by others and how I wanted to be able to respond to others, to some extent were a... I guess the word that's coming to mind for me is compromise. There might be a better word for it, but it was a compromise of my own values and definitely a compromise of her worth because she wasn't really in a relationship that she thought she was in. Mm -hmm. And and, okay, I did not tell that story super well, but you get the idea, right? When Mm -hmm. I, as a young person, yeah. You told it well enough that I flash back to, you know, a high school experience too. And from this perspective, I can see that, yes, my decision-making was based much more on, you know, other people's perceptions and how I wanted to appear and what I thought mm-hmm. would help me navigate the social landscape than my values. I didn't know what my values or my boundaries right. even were at that mm-hmm. point. Nobody told me to consider them. Yeah. yeah. Your values and your feelings in that, in that situation. Absolutely. Jonathan, you are doing so much good work in the world. Oh my goodness. Next Gen Men is out there working with boys. You have an event coming up that I want to make sure that people know about. The Future of Masculinity. Yeah, the Future of Masculinity Summit. That idea of of uh, what are my values? Someone has to give me an opportunity to explore that myself. That's something that we're doing with uh, one of our facilitators at the upcoming Future of Masculinity Summit. So it started as a pandemic virtual pilot project and it's evolved into this neat hybrid. It is still virtual, but it leverages educators within their own classroom, hosting sort of mm. holding space with young people and 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 then sort of with next-gen men's leadership and expertise diving into meaningful topics. So it's, yeah, you can find out about it at nextgenmen.ca slash summit. And it's, uh, it's free to access and it's, it's happening at the end of April. 
this year happening <laughs> probably whenever somebody hears to the about the, hears this pod listens to this podcast it'll be happening at some point because it's mm-hmm. a really neat opportunity for schools yeah yeah so look for nextgenmen.ca go to that website anyway because you've got a great newsletter and tons of information about supporting boys in their passage into adulthood. Yeah. I'm going to put all these links in the show notes. So it's really easy. You don't need to worry if you remembered or heard everything that Jonathan said, just go to Google on boys podcast. The links are going to be there for you. We want you to take advantage of this. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to say something to finish because I was like, the last thing I said was a story that I didn't feel like made a lot of sense. So having a concluding thought is great. I would say the thing that I, I normally, uh, when I have the opportunity to say something pointed to an audience is, uh, is basically if you're not having these kinds of conversations with a boy or young man in your life, whether it's your kid or your student or your nephew or whoever it might be, I'm going to be blunt. You're part of the problem. Parents, educators, or anybody in their communities are role models um, for young people in their lives and sort of in, you know, in charge of like having a creating spaces where there can be really meaningful conversations. And um, if you're not doing that, then you need to start because young people are looking for those conversations. And uh, man, I've like, again, not said this in a super articulate way, but that's, that's, I think it's just our duty, you know, and our responsibility. And so I just want to encourage um, yeah, anybody listening to this to to take the opportunity and to start building that relationship where they can have those kinds of conversations. As Jonathan said, we hope that this conversation has given you some framework to have these conversations with the boys in your life. Thank you for being our listeners. Thank you for supporting our sponsors. If you found value in this podcast, please share it with a friend, share it with your son's teacher. We need to continue these conversations. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net and Janet Allison of boysalive.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.